Welcome to Voyager's Climate Tech Journeys. I'm David Rowan, and this is the podcast where we hear about some of the extraordinary impact-driven projects happening inside the Voyager's community. Today, I'm with Tyler Christie, who's helping a very big 50,000-employee organization make a transition. But this is not a corporation. This is MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières, a huge and very special organization working in more than 70 countries, decentralized in the way it's managed. It sees itself more as a movement than as an organization. So how is Tyler helping MSF become more responsible for its climate impact? Welcome, Tyler. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here and to share uh, some of the fascinating work at, at MSF as a consultant and advisor to help guide them on this, this journey. I've always been a big admirer of the organization and, and movement. So we'll talk a bit about MSF in a moment. It's a huge organization, $2 billion annual budget, mostly funded by millions of individual donors. But first of all, tell us how you got here, how you became one of the people helping take the organization into a more climate responsive role. Yeah, certainly. So my background has been in climate change and sustainability for the last two decades or so, particularly focused on the nexus of using technology to uh, drive the transition forward. I, long story short, was involved in climate change-related venture capital investing, and then also ran a company called Amy as the chief executive officer, which was a carbon accounting and climate-related uh, data company. And then I've advised a, a range of other organizations throughout my career, all focused on improving sustainability. I founded a consultancy with my business partner, Dr. Art Blundell, who's in Canada as a renowned PhD biologist and, and policy expert in sustainability and climate change. And we basically were contacted by MSF based on our, our experience and our you know kind of unique work that we've done in emerging markets to help them really from the beginning of this, this journey. So you're based in London. MSF is based pretty much everywhere. It's in half the world's countries. It's not a single organization with a centralized structure. That's correct. That's correct. MSF is very unique in that it has a, a very decentralized approach. And that's somewhat why it we, we like to think about it as a movement, because so much of the, the actual impactful work takes place in you know, developing countries around the, the equator. And uh, firmly believe that the innovation and drive and impact can very much be um, led from those areas. MSF has five different operating centers, as it refers to it, and a overall executive body, but it also has relatively autonomous operations in 70 plus countries. And so it's been a, a great joy, but also a unique challenge to work across that type of organizational structure and, and work with very accomplished leaders in countries as diverse as Pakistan and Sierra Leone. So Médecins Sans Frontières is a humanitarian organization, does a lot of work in conflict zones, won the Nobel Prize for Peace 22 years ago. How did they come to call on you, Tyler? MSF operates as a principle of do no harm. And, and this really runs throughout everything that the organization does and is core to its, its values. And as MSF looked at its operations, you know, the, the reality is that Developed countries are responsible for the lion's share of emissions. We all know this. And 
developing countries, mostly around the equator, are responsible for a very small uh, portion of that, increasingly, but very small uh, portion of that and relatively recent. And MSF straddles both of these these worlds and operates mostly in the countries that are going to be you know, most severely impacted by climate change, but are the least responsible for it. And so when, when you come back to the value of, of do no harm, MSF wants to make sure that in these countries where it's operating, it's not exacerbating the climate change impact. And, and particularly many of these countries, such as Bangladesh or others, are already experiencing very severe impacts of climate change and will continue to do so. So that's you know, point one of how to live and, and really execute on, if you will, the this principle of do no harm. Second is it simply makes good business sense. So MSF has very extensive operations, some of which is quite energy intensive, fuel intensive. It operates facilities across the world from pharmacies to hospitals, has a fleet of vehicles, ships, millions of tons of goods, medical supplies and food all around the world. So it's it's quite a emissions intensive and energy intensive operation. Yet being able to run that more efficiently not only saves the organization money, but then enables it to direct more of its financing towards life saving you know, humanitarian action, which is at its core principle. And and so making this transition to climate is going beyond doing no harm. It's actually helping do better by becoming a more efficient and sustainable organization. Art and I have experience in both of those areas, having worked extensively in emerging markets from Myanmar to Indonesia to Liberia and Latin America, and, and from a economic and you know, business perspective, understanding how those types of investments can help yield the benefits to, to the organization. So they get in touch with you three years ago, saying we want to be more responsive to the climate crisis based on this mission of do no harm. How do you start? What are the first questions you ask? Well, it does start from the beginning of how does this align to the organization's values and how does it make sense in terms of its core operations? You've seen a significant change in awareness of that broadly over the last two years, even. For those who have been active in climate change for the last 10, 20 years, what I think is important is for organizations to internalize their response to climate change as closely as they can to how they function as a business. This is not a sideshow or a side project. This needs to become core and fundamental to how the the company functions. Otherwise, it it simply won't be sustainable from a management perspective. So a, a very critical first part was to help think through and and raise the awareness across the organization and its stakeholders of climate as a crisis. I think two years ago, that uh, term was starting to be used more more and more frequently, and I was very much a proponent of that. And, and I think as we got to see that MSF is a leading crisis organization and climate is one of the greatest crises we face, then it's clearly a no-brainer once you put those two together that MSF must, must act on this and must respond as it were a, a crisis. Now, I think, you know, in the interim, we've had obviously the COVID pandemic, which is a very relevant crisis as well. And I think it's a testament to the the amount that MSF places in urgency on climate that this is still quite front and center, despite the, the, the massive undertaking of responding to COVID. So that was a first part. You know, second, so, so education and mobilization from leadership and also, you know, down to the, you know, the broad em- employee base is very important. We want to get everybody involved in understanding and working in the same direction 
direction on climate, understanding why it's important to, to the organization and, and how they can affect change. The second critical part, which goes deep into my background, of course, is you, know, you, you really can't manage what you don't measure. So you know, starting off with getting baseline measurement of where the organization was at, we were able to you know, roll out a, uh, a tool to help with measuring carbon emissions. And, and that in and of itself helped to you know, shine a light on the operations of the organization and identify opportunities for, for change and also helps the many people across the movement start thinking about how they could affect change. And I think that's a, a really exciting part that leads into you know, the, the third step that we took was really to open the dialogue for innovation uh, across MSF. And that's how we started what we call the Climate Smart Initiative at MSF. And so this combines the, the measurement with education, as well as the, the sharing of innovative ideas across the, the movement. We have expert energy technicians across MSF and engineers who, who do fantastic work, and they all have brilliant ideas of how they could run more energy efficient operations in, in these countries. And we've had some amazing pilot projects and examples in countries that can be transferred to, to others. And so allowing those people a, a channel to share that with each other and, and help each other has been you know, hugely impactful. You know, one example I found really fascinating was uh, MSF ran a project in, in Bangladesh where installed solar powered water pumps for a community of, of nearly 100,000 people. You know, this you know, required some upfront financing, but as it's in operation, it is way more efficient than the, the typical business case of fueling generators with diesel, which also requires a transport, which is not only highly emissions intensive and costly, but it's also fragile. You know, oftentimes those trucks wouldn't show up. And so the water pumps wouldn't work. But now you know, a community of 100,000 people have access to clean drinking water powered by solar, which is uh, far more cost effective and, and resilient. And now that type of example has been shared. And, and these types of projects are starting in, in different parts of MSF as well. And so, you know, that third part then of, of starting with the, you know, mission alignment and, and awareness, moving to measurements so we can manage and then fostering the, the innovation across the organization have been the three steps that we've, we've very much focused on. So if measuring and capturing data is a starting point, how do you measure MSF's carbon footprint when it's in 70 countries and there's you know, more than 50,000 people involved? Well, there's there's a, a wide range of software tools uh, available for this. You know, this is the type of company that I used to run as a CEO, and and now there's been a new crop of of really ambitious founders and startups in this space. You know, many of them developing really brilliant products and, and pushing this forward that make it easier for you know small or large organizations to input the data needed to account for their emissions. So you know, oftentimes this still does require some you know, brute force work on the behalf of you know, employees who need to get their energy bills, get their vehicle fuel logs, you know, enter that type of data. So it's not always easy and it requires some education and training for people to A, understand why they should do it, B, understand B, why they should be motivated to, to do it, and then, and then also know how to do it in terms of you know, getting the, the type of data. So we, we made that as easy as possible. And a, a key thing there as well was providing some insight into the benefits that they could have in terms of how collecting this data and reporting it could help them identify where they could make, make savings. And, and over time, how you know, potentially we could also 
tie that or, or link that to some more financial support to invest in even more sustainable equipment or, or activities in, in their operations. So kind of really view that as a, a partnership with, with each unit across MSF rather than just a um, demand for, for data. Was there any resistance within teams that were working in really difficult places? I mean, MSF is active in places from Yemen to Libya. I imagine there would have been some more urgent pressures on some of the employees. So was there a sense that, well, isn't this another distraction? Yeah, certainly. You see this in many organizations that are, let's say, not not exactly at the front line of, of emergency crises. And so you know, I've worked with large corporations as well, where you hear the same thing. Of, you know, this, I'm too busy. This is not urgent. You know, why do I really need to do this now? I mean, I have my my sales targets to hit or, or whatever it may be. You know, at MSF, this is you know, we have a humanitarian crisis on our hands or the COVID pandemic. Why does this need to be a, a priority? Now, you know, we, we found that very infrequently, though, at MSF, far less than what I've experienced in a lot of large corporations. And part of that is a testament to the culture at MSF. I think part of that is testament to the, the leadership aligning this with the core values of the organization. You know, a lot of people work at MSF because they care about those values and, and want to, to live them every day. And so when they view this as a, being something that aligned with that value of doing no harm and, and aligned with their you know, core principles as an organization, and that also could help them become you know, more efficient and more effective in terms of you know, routing financing to humanitarian aid, it, it helped make it a priority. You know, we also provided just round-the-clock support. So I was on the call on the phone with people from Sudan in the middle of the night or, or from from Bangladesh to to help them with whatever questions that they had. And I think that was very important. You can't make the the lifting too heavy for people and providing that added support was certainly helpful. So, you know, but MSF, the people are really just inspiring and that they're the real go-getters about this. And so I think that was that was a, a delight to, to see. How did you ensure communication across the organization to let people know that this was a strategic priority? So there's a couple of different ways. One is in the way that MSF works, we set you know, overall strategic plans like many organizations, but also passes through its different governing bodies, what we call motions or pacts. So at the very highest level of MSF, there's a, a voting body, a Congress, and in the International General Assembly in in 2019, successfully voted and passed a resolution to endorse action on climate change. And this sort of directed everybody to be on the same page and, and raise the awareness about this across the organization, which was very important. This was then followed up in, in the following year of 2020 with the Environmental Pact, which sets more concrete actions across the different operating centers to take action and specifically points the goals towards aligning with the Paris Accord and you know, commensurate reduction in, in carbon emissions. So there's very clear targets and direction and goals for the organization at the highest levels that was made aware through throughout the entire organization. We also were very active in supporting you know, a bottoms-up approach. So a really unique thing that I love about MSF is what's called their, their green teams. And these are essentially self-forming teams across MSF that want to take action on sustainability. When I joined with MSF and started working with them, we had maybe a half dozen of these and, and a few dozen employees involved. And as awareness raised, you know, more and more employees wanted to get involved and wanted to support this. And the green teams gave them 
a you know really easily accessible way to get involved in a concrete manner. And we actually, someone had some mentorship from a, a colleague at McKinsey, uh, which has a similar structure, uh, actually, of green teams across its different office units. And, and they were very helpful in sharing lessons learned from their experience of, of growing that. And that helped us uh, structure this in, in several ways to foster that type of engagement across the broad community base. And so now we have Know, really increase the green teams over 20x many more employees involved who are all taking action at different levels of the organization and, and across all of the the regions in which msf operates and so each one of those people obviously they they interact with their colleagues in their local office and so we're not just dependent on everybody hearing some top-down directive but they're they're hearing it from their, their colleagues that sit next to them they work on in different projects and that helps diffuse knowledge and action on climate across the organization at every level so the green teams are not appointed they're self-appointed they're groups right. of employees who decide to work together that's right and then we help them create a you know then create a in a somewhat formalized uh, structure to that, so where they can create a, a plan and understand what will be most relevant to, to the organization so that they're they're making impact and that also that can be consistent with their their roles. We obviously have to be cognizant that most employees can't dedicate all of their time to to that. They still have their day jobs to do. But by putting a structure around it and, and raising the profile of it across the organization, it allows them to have a better dialogue with managers about how much time they would dedicate to this and, and how that may integrate into their day-to-day. Like you may have heard of, say, you know, Google has its policy of allowing employees to dedicate time to independent projects. Well, this is somewhat similar. You know, this allows employees to dedicate time to sustainability and climate action. And, and that's something I would love to see replicated in, in you know, organizations you know, much more broadly, because I think it allows employees to, to really get involved, but also allows for that bottoms up innovation that can, I think, in many ways drive sustainability forward. So it sounds like we have a combination of top down setting out what we want to achieve and bottom up this is how we're going to achieve it in quantifiable ways you have the international general assembly of msf approving a notion saying we see climate change as a crisis we need to respond to you see the executive committee of msf setting out an environmental pact that commits the organization to specific action and then on the ground teams of employees locally are coming up with specific suggestions. Yes, that's that's right. And uh, you know, we have a third element that's that's quite important as well is is in the supply chain. As with many organizations, a uh, very significant part of the total footprint is in uh, its supply chain, referred to as Scope Three emissions. And of course, MSF as a complex organization, procuring goods, physical goods, is highly reliant on its suppliers, and and so those emissions are important. And so increasingly, we'll be working with partners across the supply chain to also shift those emissions, and and whether that may be re-engineering logistics of the supply chain to shift, say, from air-based shipping to maritime shipping to buying uh, more sustainable products, for instance, less single-use plastics or more sustainably produced goods will be very important in reducing MSF supply chain emissions as well.
So have you worked out what this vast distributed organization's total carbon footprint globally is? Yes, we have. You know, we, it's constantly a iteration to become more and more accurate. And so what we're doing now is we're finding that as we get increasingly more data. I think you know, many organizations, they wait to take action until you get the most accurate footprint. I, I definitely am of the view that you know, there's some really no-brainer actions and, and low-hanging fruit that organizations can take. So we conduct a initial footprint assessment to at least have a, a generalized baseline to, to work from, which does involve some extrapolation of data across different parts of the organizations where we haven't gotten you know, actual data, and, and then use that to sort of anchor and direct where we do make interventions and investments to reduce the footprint. Over the next year, we plan to continuously hone that and then develop a more accurate footprint for the global operations that would be publicly. And have you set targets of dates by when the organization will be carbon neutral? Carbon neutrality is, well, what, what we have set so far for the organization is just, just recently, one of the operating centers consistent with the environmental pact has set the target of reducing emissions in line with the Paris Accord. And, and generally, that would be reducing emissions by 50% uh, based on the, the baseline year through through 2030. We hope to accelerate that and, and go beyond that measure, and then also to replicate that across the other four operating centers in MSF. You know, the, this, the initial operating center that has led that in MSF Switzerland will serve as kind of the, the model. And I think we'll provide a lot of lessons learned to the other units that will move forward on that. But, you know, going back to the environmental pact, each of those units then will be essentially tasked with setting targets consistent with the Paris Agreement. So that is the, the overall goal and metric that we'll be aiming for. We hope to accelerate that. Now, when it comes to neutrality, this is a, it is a challenge. MSF will need to make reductions as much as possible and will we'll make investments and these will be costly. We are you know, raising financing to support that. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant that you know, the, the core mission of addressing humanitarian crises and providing medical assistance in these situations is you know, paramount. I think there will be a last mile where certain interventions, you know, we, we don't have the technology yet to to address those sustainably, you know, where MSF can find that. Hopefully, you know, some new technologies can come about and help MSF achieve that last mile. I think as an organization, we'd rather do that than, uh, you know, resort to offsetting. But the important thing is that we, you know, we start taking action right now and, and doing what we, we know we can rather than you know, betting on things that we, we don't know or can't control. Uh, I'm a firm believer that the innovation in this space is accelerating and we will have new technologies in the next five years that, that will help us address these challenges now. But that is no reason to not take action now and, and even take some hard choices now on doing what we can. And the goals are not simply about avoiding putting millions of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. There are also cost savings that you see coming from energy efficiency that can be directed towards your core mission of providing humanitarian aid. That's right. Yeah, certainly. You know, and, and there's also a, another key element you know, beyond the you know, carbon emissions. We're also addressing waste. Medical waste is a very important issue in local operations. There's been a significant 
movement in parallel with you know, carbon emissions measurement to measure waste and develop mitigation strategies for that. For the, the cost savings, you know, we see this through a variety of things. So we, you know, MSF has had some amazing pilot projects that have, have now been scaled up in certain areas. Like I mentioned, the, the water pumps project, another of you know, solar power generators, which we've been able to demonstrate year over year, 30% cost savings, as opposed to using uh, diesel run generators. So, you know, the more that we can implement and scale up those technologies, it, it certainly makes sense. The The economic modeling that, that Art and I have developed with MSF uh, generally points to a three to five year payback period on a lot of this technology, which is difficult for a crisis organization that generally works on an you know, annual budget ending cycle and often can be difficult for, but that, that's not unique to MSF. You know, it can be difficult for corporations that have to deal with short-term you know, public markets reporting. But I think the when you can take a longer view and develop the right financing for that longer view, it, it, it makes obvious business sense to make these investments. How much do you think the cost saving potentially could be through these new efficiency measures? We think that it can be hundreds of millions of, of dollars over the next decade for MSF. So that's just more you know, aid that can be directed towards humanitarian and, and medical support. So MSF has a multi-billion dollar budget year on year. And I think of these investments and, and a significant part of that, you know, or a not insignificant part of that is to, to fund you know, energy use and fuel in, in these developing countries. So the more that we can transition from those types of energy supply or other ways of working, you know, the more cost savings we can generate. And yet these ambitious projects of transformation are going to cost money to get going. How is MSF funding the work? Yes, and that's a, a interesting challenge. So you know, right now, MSF is funding this work from its operational budget. MSF uniquely receives nearly no government funding. It has different philanthropy partners, but by and large, sees funding from a, a large group of individuals, over 6 million individual donors. And uh, so the the, you know, comp- the organization has run its finances responsibly and has you know, funds to invest in, in some level of this over the, the longer term, but, but not enough. And uh, so one of the the projects that we're working on right now is is to develop a innovative financing mechanism for this for for MSF where we can make these longer term in investments and that will yield those cost savings and so we're currently exploring you know partnerships with donors or financial institutions to to support that type of initiative a essentially two two different types of approaches one to finance the innovation for uh, msf's internal operations of which right now we're starting with a small seed fund to support the innovations across the, the green teams and different organizations in, in msf as well as financing support for suppliers as well so you're taking almost a venture capital model but inside the organization you're creating a standalone fund to support initiatives that could bring economic as well as planetary benefits. That's right. That's right. And and MSF has a, a a track record of doing that in other areas. So it has run some you know, really interesting innovation funds around, you know, medical technologies or equipment to operate, you know, for instance, there's uh, some really interesting projects around medical gear for you know, war zone uh, operations that was financed through these types of innovation funds. And so we have a good model and a good uh, you know, track record of doing that within MSF. So we really want to apply this to, to this domain and uh, scale it up. So Tyler, what have you learned in helping take MSF through 
a climate transition that you think could be applicable to all sorts of other big businesses? One is no matter where you're at as an organization or how pressing some deadlines are, and as hard as it may seem, we need to recognize and repeatedly communicate that climate is a, a crisis that is present right now. And, and we see this in the news. Uh, we see it in our, you know, sometimes even in our daily surroundings. And, uh, and so, you know, the challenge is that it, it may not be as visible as a conflict, as a crisis. And, and that's why it can be somewhat, you know, easier to you know, let it slip and delay. So we, we need that constant reassertion and attention. And I think that the, the second part is that we often think of, you know, leaders have to do that. And yes, that's true. Leaders play a, a significant role. But I think a second part is we're seeing a different type of organization, I think, evolve right now. Organizations that are run by stakeholders, heavily influenced by stakeholders and employees. So, you know, leaders have a responsibility to lead, but a lot of their leadership must come from engaging employees and listening to, to what they want. So, you know, for example, at MSF, I, I think the green teams and the grassroots movement from employees helped keep that attention on. And the fact that the leadership was willing to be open to that was critical. So I think the, the, the leaders out there, I think it can be maybe you know, scary or difficult, but I think, you know, let your people speak and, and to some extent drive this forward with you and you'll, you know, really, really benefit from that. And we've seen that at MSF. If you relegate, you know, the climate response and activity to a small team of people in the sustainability office, it, it becomes very hard to you know, really drive a program forward. This is something that needs all hands on, on deck. I think a third part is, and Art and I often say this to all of our clients, you know, nothing succeeds like success. <laughs> so, and what I mean by that and, and why it's important is, you know, climate is, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and, and it's actually an ongoing continuous improvement effort. And, uh, you know, that can seem daunting. But there are successes that can help propel forward the, the learning and motivation and momentum for organizations. So it's, it's super important to celebrate those um, and recognize those. And, you know, we'll learn each time in an iterative cycle. So we might deploy some technology and find out a year and a half later that it, it could have been more efficient. Well, that's okay. But we should still celebrate that we did that experiment and we did make an improvement and that was a step forward and now we can take another step forward. And, and so applying that type of momentum and celebratory approach at, at successes in this, I think, can be really important for keeping that going over the long haul. So Tyler, you're three years into this process of making MSF more responsive to the climate's needs. Give yourself a report card on how you've done so far. Oh, well. I'm a tough critic, so you know I would would have liked to see things move faster. And you know, we certainly didn't anticipate a uh, pandemic. I distinctly remember being at the MSF Geneva headquarters office in February of last year, discussing our plans for the year. Little did we know that you know a month later there would be a full shutdown in most European countries, at least. So there have certainly been been roadblocks in the way. But I guess in your typical reporting, maybe we would have a a B, B plus, I'd say. And, and I attribute that part to the fact that we've you know, set clear targets. We have already started a you know, significant investment program in activities to make reductions. We've identified those, prioritized those, and started taking action. We have the framework for you know, measuring and managing what we do over time. 
I think one of the most important things, which I certainly can't take any credit for, is you know, we, we have the enthusiasm and passion of the people that work in MSF. And I think you know that's that's not any at all <laughs> to resulting from work that I've done, but it's you know something I think over the last two three years has has blossomed. We've helped in some small way at least give more space to that uh, across the organization. I think that will will really you know, take it forward. So I think for us, you know, go, going forward, it's about concretely and quickly making the investments needed to to shift the operations and reduce you know carbon now and and to engage the the partners that we have you know more extensively across the supply chain you know, more quickly now well it's certainly a bold beginning one that a lot of other organizations can learn from just one final question tyler you're part of the voyagers climate tech community a couple of hundred people helping each other out to achieve impactful things it's a community of givers, not takers. Is there an ask and an offer you have for the community? An ask, something that the community can help you with, but in return, something you can give back. What's your ask and your offer, Tyler? I guess I'll start with my offer. I think the the use case from MSF can can be a good example and a and a good opportunity. You know, we're we're looking for partners to help innovate on this and and also you know offering to help others who are either supporting other organizations or are similar organizations trying to make this transition learn from from our experience you know, we don't have all the answers and i think the more organizations can collaborate um, and learn from each other the, the better so I'm certainly open to you know spending my time and an effort on uh, helping in in that regard as as far as an an ask Going back to our, you know, taking action, we have a lot on our plate. But one critical part is you know, we firmly believe that we have a lot of technology at hand to make the interventions that we need. And then there's going to be a set of interventions that we we can't control yet. So my ask would be to work with and get support from those who are helping scale up large scale infrastructure projects and, and financing mechanisms to you know you know reach out and, and we can work on that together at MSF as well as you know the the wide range of innovators in the community and beyond who can apply their you know new ventures to help you know, disrupt the way organizations like MSF operate and, and reduce their emissions. So I'd love to get support and ideas from folks around the community on how we can do that. I'm sure there are people in Voyages who can help. Tyler Christie, helping take MSF to the next level in responding to the climate emergency. Thank you very much for joining us here on Voyager's Climate Tech Journeys. I'm David Rowan. You can find more about Voyagers at voyagers.io. But for now, thanks, Tyler. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.